and welcome back to Gossip Protocol for the second episode of Fire and Forget. As we previously said, this is the second part of the originally recorded podcast. It's been snipped up, sliced up, and put into two parts so far. Um, during this episode, we talk about uh, browsers, how they change over time, and a little bit about data protection, both in the real world and the online world. Um, I'm going to pass you over to the very capable hands of Past Max and uh, kick you off the podcast like you're listening. So we'll slam through some hacking bits and pieces um, and there was something else that we were talking about which was leaning into the more heavily tech side of things which was um, the, the, the poor end of Edge HTML and, and the fact that it's, it's, it tried its very hardest and it, it's, it's kind of being left by the wayside by the sounds of things. Um, which was, so for those out of the loop like I was this morning, um, I believe Edge HTML is Microsoft's kind of rendition of Chromium and what was used to back up um, Edge as a browser, Internet Explorer, whatever number it was, um, before, uh, while um, Chrome and a few of its pieces, I believe, does Firefox use Chromium in the background? No. 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 Um, Opera does. Opera um, does. The other one. A few of the browsers use Chromium as backing. <laughs> Um, and it, it seems to me like the ever-present um, Blu-ray versus HD-DVD kind of situation, two people put out two products that are relatively similar and then one will win, one will just kind of fade away. And um, this piece from the register says, Microsoft polishes up Chromium as Edge HTML peers into the abyss. So it seems like Microsoft are slowly leaning towards Chromium and will put Edge HTML potentially to rest. Um, which is, I know, a little, a little sad to hear that they're kind of giving up on their own brand of things, but Microsoft these days do lean towards the whole open sourcing kind of business and, and are happy to take on those bits and pieces. So it's not, in my mind, too surprising to see that kind of stuff come through. And to be fair, they're going to add a bunch of features outside of spec on top of their version of Chromium and break the internet that way. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not going to be uh, too much of a uh, change in form. I think the saddest thing about reading this article for me was that, like, you know, Edge was meant to be this, like, cool new rebrand. It's going to make, like, all Internet Explorers, like, you know, it's going to take it over and it's going to, like, secure its little corner of the market. But it's, like, it's being it's used 4% instead of um, Internet Explorer using 5.3%. <laughs> Just, like, it didn't even get to replace the thing that it was meant to replace. And there's 4% of people using it to download another browser. Oh, 100%. I think the only place that uses IE consistently above any other browser, I think, is like, is it Korea or like China or somewhere? That I thought you were about to say the Microsoft offices. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they use, do they, do they not use Chrome internally and things like that? Because they used to use Windows phones and things like that and they backed away from that because they didn't like them. This is a big pile of them in a warehouse somewhere, like, oh, giving it away. Just one of their services, just a lot of phones glued together. <laughs> I know that my uh, friend who works at Google, um, they all use uh, Hangouts for internal communication, and they're just like ever so sad that they can't use Slack because everyone else uses Slack, but they're stuck there like Hangoutsing with each other. <laughs> is that mandated or is it just I think pretty much. I mean, not like, I don't know how harsh they enforced it is, but you know, if that's where the official communications go, you just end up there, don't you? So, quick statistics from statcounter.com, which is pulled directly from the register. Um, 
has the last year chromium, uh, chromium, chrome at 72%, Firefox at 9%, IE at 5%, Safari at 5%, Edge at 4%, and Opera at 2 and I assume there is some other percentage that makes up the rest of it. Um, I didn't realize that Chrome was quite that high up. Like, I knew that it was pretty well accepted for the majority of people, but I didn't realize it was quite that heavily accepted. How far? It'd be interesting to see what that chart looked like at the end of the 90s before Internet Explorer got um, all those lawsuits oh, happened. The latest back you can go is 2009. Mm, let's see that though. Uh, I guess Chrome will still be pretty high. Oh so no, I using their own So wow. I is at 55% in December 2009. <laughs> Firefox at 31%, the peak. <coughs> and then you've got Chrome just appearing at 5%, below that you've got Opera and Safari kicking in there. That's a that's mind-blowing. I really did think that Firefox would be higher than 10% nowadays, but I guess that's just me thinking back to around that sort of time where like Firefox was, yeah, like a third of computers. That doesn't seem yeah. too far off. I wonder how the rise of Chrome maps against the uptake in Android devices. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's a fair point about Android yeah. devices, because yeah, it comes by default. <coughs> that is your internal browser. Yeah. Um, but, uh, to be fair, my old Samsung. That used to have its own internet, internet yeah, um, browser thing. It wasn't Chrome out of the box. When Samsung, the Samsung ones trying to sort of push Tizen, whatever their version of it was, so they're like sort of abandoning, you know, Googly stuff. It's like, hey, we've got our own stuff. I think they were trying to do that pretty hard. I mean, I still used Chrome on my phone, <laughs> so I didn't really use their internal uh, internet piece. But um, no, it's worthwhile saying. Um, but anyway, now we're just dipping into more stats and things like that, and it appears that, I'm assuming this blue line is IE, it is yeah. indeed, uh, and Chrome crossed the line at about May 2012, um, at which point they crossed the line and ended up becoming the most dominant browser. Um, and even now, like, what was this? So November 2018, more dominant than IE ever was back in 2009. So I'm assuming they were more dominant before that. Like, what was the leading browser? Because it was Mozilla before it was. No, Mozilla's the company was Netscape. Netscape, was... sorry, apologies. Was, yeah, Firefox, sort your life out. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Firefox was sixty. It's peaking. It's peaking. Yeah. Look at it. It's it's bouncing back. Well, when when was the? There was a no new features rewrite everything from scratch in Firefox, wasn't there? Oh, they did, didn't they? They had a. And they, they basically paused and wanted to rewrite everything from scratch. Yeah, it was a, a hard rewrite of everything. But that was, it was only a couple of years ago, right? I feel. I figure it's between 2009 and now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's probably some It's taken last, that long. <laughs> last 10 years, yes. I guess it's a percentage as well. So there's more people online. I guess mobile devices are more prolific. Uh, around about here, we're probably seeing Facebook becoming basically the internet for most of the population. <laughs> so what was this? 2011? <laughs> 2012? Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. Um, but no, it's an interesting to look at this kind of stuff. Obviously, this isn't fantastic for a, you know an audio-based podcast. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to see these kind of statistics uh, and the fact that things like like Edge, wherever that lands, like I said, like we said earlier, is four percent in its current standing, which is below Safari and IE. Like it hasn't made that much of a dent. It comes straight out of the box with 
uh, Windows 10, which was offered as a free upgrade for anybody ever. But a lot of a lot of <laughs> that was air quotes from James. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of corporates will still be internally using IE in pre Windows 10 as a mandated thing. So yeah, there's probably still people running IE. Nine? Yeah, in a previous life we were developing um, and we managed to bump the required um, version of IE from I think 7 to 10, I think we got up to, um, which was nice, didn't have to <laughs> do some horrendous things to make all JavaScript work and all that kind of stuff. Um, but. Yeah, like a lot of older systems, a lot of government facilities, a lot of things like NHS and stuff like that also use old IE kicking around things like that. They are, I'm sure, upgrading things after the whole WannaCry situation that crippled a hell of a lot of places um, through using old Windows services and like XP and old uh, and Explorer, um, which obviously, well, hopefully will have brought security up and upgrades up in terms of the, the internal showings. But if we go quickly back to the piece at hand, which is around Microsoft slowly uh, leaning towards um, Chromium. Something quite interesting that I've seen just here, which is that mobile versions of Edge do not use Edge HTML in the base in the, in the baseline. So maybe they weren't particularly too invested in it in the first place. I don't know, but I also don't know how much Edge mobile gets used. So I don't know how high up the list of things it would be. I guess one thing it gives them is this, uh, and you, you said the word, is the, this, this idea that they're, they're, they're sort of being kind or doing open source right and like using these things to make them look like the good guys. I mean, that's not the full story, right? They joined the OSI, which is a trade consortium, which means they agreed not to sue people in the same trade consortium. They didn't open source a bunch of patents. They said, my rich buddies, let's not sue each other. <laughs> <laughs> they, they bought a seat and thus a hell of a lot of influence with the Linux Foundation. They, gave, they got, you know, they were key speakers at Linux conventions. They pay a huge amount of people's salaries that work for the Linux Foundation. Uh, there's a whole backstory to companies buying things on the Linux Foundation and how that worked out. So yeah, they're, they're basically buying influence and agreeing not to sue rich friends. And they're doing some open source stuff, sure, done it, cause kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, it's not all uh, being a good guy, but doing things like this, I guess they should say, hey, they're just they're using open source software now, so they must be good people. I'm sure there's some good people working there. <laughs> <laughs> no, not just painting everyone with a C. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you, like, to look at it from that angle, that they are almost buying goodwill in some, in some aspects, that they can dip into these things and look, oh, look, we're open sourcing these things, or potentially, I don't know, when they bought, Mike, they bought Microsoft, Microsoft bought Microsoft, Microsoft <laughs> bought GitHub, earlier this year, which obviously I, I would say GitHub's a pretty damn beloved company in terms of the tech sector, a lot of people love it, it's well regarded, it's a brilliant place to find code, host code, all that kind of stuff. Um, that could, it could be said that they were buying a good reputation by getting into the GitHub world as well. I, I, I don't know if that rings true or not. Like, like, I thought GitHub was struggling to get new funding, so they were basically buying GitHub stability after they moved a lot of their code onto GitHub. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, the organization would have evaporated because it would have run out of money. I hadn't thought about that way. So wait, so what you're saying is that GitHub was the questionable foundations that you decided to build a house on and went, perhaps we should fix this ground, make sure the ground is okay before we put all of our eggs in the basket. 
I, I think GitHub had to be bought by one of Microsoft, Google, Facebook, possibly someone else in that space, someone of that size, mm -hmm. um, for it to have continued. And a lot of those those companies had enough GitHub presence that they're like, oh, this is worrying, let's just take the worry away by going boop. Can you actually a visual source tape of <laughs> oh god, I had some interactions with Visual Source back in the day, it was interesting. I've probably still got some code checked out from previous, previous works that no one can touch the files <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I always found that quite interesting with Visual Source, which is, if you check it out, no one else can get it, right? This is mine. It's a plug you can turn on and say, yeah, no, no one can touch this, this yeah. resolution. <laughs> it's basically like having a library card and just kind of going, this is my book now, no one else can see it. Um, which I found quite interesting because I was coming into a world of Git and all that kind of stuff and tipping a step backwards into Visual Source and being like, okay, I'm going to look at this and then someone complaining that I had it. I was like, that's not how this works, is it? I don't think this is how it works. I was opened up to a new world that that did. I, I was going to uh, actually pull a quote from the very lovely James, who sat opposite me, directly from Slack, and, 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 and used that in, in the next piece, which was, we were, we were putting together a few uh, articles that we wanted to talk about, and um, James raised a, a very good comment, I thought, um, in, in an excellent way, um, which was browsing through all these articles, clicking through all of these bleeping <laughs> GDPR cookie warnings, begs the question, what the hell have we done to the internet? I think that's a very fair comment. You see it on every single website, you see accept my cookies, um, do this, do that, uh, are you happy that this is happening? Um, as a sidecar to this is that you see on a lot of websites at the very minute, especially Google-backed ones, is living in the EU, why do we have Article 13 and things like that plastered over every single website saying, hey, you need to do something about this. Article 13 being copyright and all this kind of stuff, I believe, I haven't done my research fully on this, um, is saying that the onus of copyright is not with the uploader of the copyrighted material, say if you upload a copyrighted song or something like that, or upload a video to YouTube and things like that, um, it is on the onus of the service that is hosting it to stop it before it even touches the public. I think with Article 13, you've got it. That is still an issue, but you have like a leniency period where you can save harbor, but you really have to do due diligence on it. Mm -hmm. So you can't host co uh, copyright material forever, but you can't be like sued tomorrow for carrying that content. Okay, so it's so not yeah. quite as instantaneous. As yeah. Going out. So YouTube's got it, the algorithm, <laughs> uh, and various, you know, uh, Millennium something something stuff that can scan this. Uh, but yeah, you've basically got zero leniency. If you get claimed the minute it goes up, then they are paying the bill for it. But I'm going to divert to Mark, who's a content creator, and into all this. Who knows way more about it than I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're just writing an article about this at the moment, so I'm not uh, fully clued up. But like, I do know that like YouTube's copyright policy at the moment is super stringent. Like, the 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 issue is that they're, I guess, because of the advertising on YouTube, like they have to be so careful of the content they put out because adverts will immediately go on it that everything is now held for review and it's like, like uploading something on YouTube is no longer as simple as like, oh, got a file, gonna upload it, it's there. Because it goes through like actual manual checking for most of it, which is in my mind like insane because of the amount of like, I, 
I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna actually get the statistic right but the amount of hours per day that are uploaded onto YouTube is like mind-blowing basically <laughs> like every time that you open YouTube now you get a pop-up saying hey article 13 is coming we gotta, we gotta, we gotta have a chat you and me <laughs> so I'm sure that uh, that when it happens it'll nicely explode statistics say uh, from merchdope.com thank you Google um, the total number of hours um, there is 300 hours of video uploaded to YouTube every minute. That's insane. Which is incomprehensible amounts of information and how on earth do you parse So that's 1,800, there'll soon be a whole 13 and a half billion years history of the universe on YouTube, so we can just, like, that'll be right. Well, I, I, I assume a lot of it is just the same video uploaded multiple times from multiple directions as someone's like, I don't know, fallen down and someone's like taking a, like a video <laughs> recording for or something like that. Um, I do wonder, I'd love to see a breakdown of the type of content it is because I do genuinely think that, yeah, maybe half of it is like re-uploads or whatever, but like, I reckon about half of that is like actual original content, even if it's shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying it's like... You know, the first time that that footage has stepped on the internet. I'm sure knowing the nature of that content may make you lose more faith in mankind. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's, it's already all the way down there, the bar is so low. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the faith in mankind. <laughs> Too much that topic. Yeah, I brought this up on, on the basis that um, Jim's raised GDPR cookie warnings and all these various bits and pieces that you've got to be very careful around the internet at the minute and there's lots of warnings, all these kind of things and uh, especially around um, cooking things like that was that Jim said that this content is free, but we need to make money somehow. So we need to sell your data to advertising, advertisers, otherwise there'd be no internet. Which I loved as a quote on the basis that, hey, the internet's been there forever. It's absolutely fine as it was. Why do you need to do this now? Or why is this such a big deal now? Um, is it a case that people have gotten a sweet little taste of the money that can come from these kind of things and went, Actually, that's that's quite tasty. I quite like that. I'm gonna move into this on a more broad spectrum, or is this just the way of the world? Then? So I guess uh, my feeling is like proper journalism needs paying for, uh, but also can be done out of passion. Uh, and there was an internet before all this happened. So what really gets my goat, and just to put that into context, yes. was you see a lot of sites saying, well, without without doing what we do, without the trackers, without the adverts, we, this site wouldn't be possible. But like people with a passion, people who want to get a message out there, people who want to do this stuff, you know, they get it out there. And and now more than ever, there's platforms to pay people on. There's Patreon. There's oh, it's the JMD project and paying for this kind of stuff. Like coffee? No. No, I can't remember. There's there's quite a few yeah. where you can support people. You can you can subscribe. And so the notion that because oh, if IGN doesn't put these adverts out, you'll never know about games, and that isn't true. Like enthusiastic individuals have been telling us about their hobbies and interests for years. So yeah, these big companies telling us there won't be an internet unless they track us everywhere, sell our data, put adverts in front of us is bullshit. But I'll defer to the rest of the team who are probably more clued into this stuff than I am. How many page views of some news does your goat buy? Yeah, there's a lot of advertising money around from people who uh, had it to spend, saw their traditional channels not working in terms of conversion anymore, and they're trying to mo have succeeded in monetizing, like, what's 10 minutes of my eyeballs worth? Apparently quite a lot of money, and I don't think it's a, it's worth the amount I will spend on your website after having seen it for 10 minutes. Um, I think it's probably a bubble that will go 
this is it's a phase. We'll find we'll hopefully get to a better stable place. I do, I just do feel like I don't know these things like it it started somewhere right like someone was like oh loads of people are on my website maybe I should just like have I don't know whatever small advert affiliate links like it probably started like that right but it's now like getting to the point where it's making the websites unusable like it makes websites slower it's sometimes especially on mobile you've got so many adverts and overlays that you literally cannot see the thing that you're supposed to be seeing so it's kind of like I don't know I feel like it was inevitable that this was going to happen. Anything that people spend time on, people will go like, how do I monetize that? Um, but I do feel like, yeah, like what Lawrence is saying, that it's not it's not sustainable. You can't just keep shoving adverts in and being like... Pff. No, absolutely. And, and where I was going to lead in this conversation was that you, you've got all these centralized places you go to, Google AdSense, AdWords, and all these kind of things, or you put your content on YouTube and you get views from ads and things like that, or you put it on Facebook and Facebook pays you to do things, or you pay Facebook to advertise, all these kind of things. And that's so quite often very out of your control. And I mean, I, I'm by no means included in all this kind of stuff, but. I know that YouTube changed their advertising regulations or algorithms, all this kind of stuff, and decided that you you said a word that might have sounded like a swear word at one point in one of your videos. Therefore, you could never be advertised on by ninety percent of our advertisers. Therefore, you get no you get no money, uh, and you have these situations. And people like have livelihoods on like things like content um, creation, like YouTube or Twitch and things like that, and like it can slap them around pretty damn hard. Um, to the point where we went from very singular websites, you have your own website and things like that, where it's mygamingvideo.com or whatever, um, and you have to make people go to that one website, and people will find you through your efforts and all that kind of stuff, and you can put whatever advertising or you can sell subscriptions or merch or whatever through your own website. People moved into everything in one place, where everything's on Facebook, everything's on YouTube, but you're starting to see it in small little bits and pieces that people are moving away from that and starting back up on these little small bandwagon places and things like that to step away from these things where they have more control to deal with these kind of GPRE situations or someone else in control of your advertising and things like that. And I think it's personally smart, but it's also less convenient for the to the user and all this kind of stuff. And, and hence why people will still continue to use things like YouTube. Or Twitch or whatever else, but it's, it's gonna be a it's gonna be back and forth though because like that's how it originally started. Everyone hosts their own thing, and then we're like, oh, this is such a good idea—a platform where I can see everyone's stuff. Brilliant! Everyone posts on the platform where you can see everyone's stuff. Oh shit, that platform's now an asshole. Like it's taking all my money or isn't giving me any money, and uh, and then there's this like you know separation away into like. Um, hosting things individually again and then people go like oh man how do I get all my feeds in one place oh there's this cool platform that'll combine all my feeds oh, and it's just gonna go back and forth forever sorry yeah. <laughs> it's the democratizing effect of early stage asshole platforms still around <laughs> in the like if I wanted to put a video up on YouTube but not YouTube um, other video whatever um, <laughs> Uh, can can I host that as easily on my own? Like I, I know how to host a video myself from the dark ages, but I don't know how to replace YouTube. Well, this is the thing, right? Because there's been obviously YouTube's been so popular that loads of people have tried to make 
you know other versions and no one has succeeded it is quite hard what they do and especially it's, it's, a, it's absolutely a scaling thing because you what youtube does like and the reason why their reach is so wide and, and they've gone over things like vimeo and other video hosting sites is that they do the whole like have the video in every resolution circular one that's going to suit your bandwidth da, 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 da. and like you can't do that unless you've got the computing power to do that for every video that's uploaded so it's like at one point you're so big that you know, kind of no one can take it down, and that's that's a shame because yeah, like YouTube is messed up at the moment, and um, a lot of people have lost their livelihoods. But I guess being an aggregator as well has to pay off. So I use, uh, and I'm not a typical internet user, so I'm, I'm not to say this is the solution, but I use Patreon. Yeah. So I pay for content, and I use Patreon as my portal for content. So my payment uh, gateway is my gateway into my content. So it can be hosted absolutely anywhere. I go to my Patreon stream, here's a bunch of stuff you've paid for, and no matter where it is, I've got the video embedded in my stream of content. So they've managed to make being an aggregator pay for them. They, they take a cut of the money that goes out to the, uh, the creators. And I, I, I've got like a ton, ton of uh, browse plugins and stop adverts. So I'm not sure they're actually advertising to me. But when I go there, there's no adverts, there's, there's a minimal amount of bullshit, and I get to see my content without yeah, going to but like but the masses that make the money for YouTube are like people who don't maybe don't have it's maybe younger people who don't have the money to like or the sort of know how to like go on the Patreon and think oh this is the best way for me to do it they go like oh YouTube it's free I can watch a lot of people brilliant yeah. <laughs> and that's that's where the real like that's where marketing really like affects so and uh, I, something that I always neglect a lot in terms of these kind of conversations is that. I think quite often, I look at these situations and go, this is really dumb, why are you asking for cookies? Why are you doing this kind of thing? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Is because I don't think we are the target for these things in any sort of regard because we, we live in this world, we know how it works, at least to some general degree and all this kind of stuff. We know how to block them, you, you have ad blockers and stuff like that and, and, and you, you hide yourself away from these kind of businesses or you will move to something else that suits you better. I think these kind of advertising tactics and things like that are targeted way more towards people who just don't know how it works. They don't know how to handle it, they don't know how to get away from it and all that kind of stuff. And, and that is more the target audience for these kind of businesses. And I mean, it means that we can sit here and talk about it and talk about isn't this a bit dumb or isn't this strange that it's going this way, but if we aren't the majority, then does it really matter? I guess, yeah, you can say a lot of stuff about this, and I guess the onus is honest to maybe fix it. Like, if you find out your elderly neighbour has, you know, car insurance premiums have gone up year on year, and now they're paying £3,000 a year, you'd say, hey, you I tell you what, tomorrow afternoon I'll come round, I'll do some rigging around for you, and we'll get you a better policy. And I guess that neighbourly type of relationship is what we need for people that aren't us on the internet to start solving these problems rather than sitting around drinking and moaning about them. <laughs> <laughs> No, we have a microphone for us, that's the whole point. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely the way, yeah, like, I've, you know, even, I mean, it is difficult because, like, how do you reach out, but, like, if everyone has the patience to, for when their parents phones the mum and says, like, oh, I, my internet's going real slow again, and you go there and you have to uninstall a bajillion things, like, if you take a moment to educate and be like, okay, this that you see here, I know it's along with all your other Facebook posts, this one's an advert from a person who wants to make money from you clicking on it. You gotta not do that unless you really want to do that, <laughs> and kind of just taking the moment to like just explain it, yeah, yeah, like in a way that they'll be like, okay, because people know how to spot adverts in the conventional way, like on the TV, an ad break, like everyone understands that. So it's like, it also happens on the internet. Da -da. So, so 
So I think you should gather uh, from your parents a list of 10 companies they hate and just get them to like pay-per-click all the way. <laughs> just like a, a billion clicks if they can do it before their like, joints wear out and then like, yeah, just... so, so, so what you're leaning towards is monetizing the uneducated or something that's how we got the internet right that's how we're in this situation people who've got better things to do with their lives and work out how the internet advertising economy works are paying for us to have content and we all have ad blockers and VPNs and shit and we don't have to deal with it. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is ignore what James and Mar said about educating people and just let them continue to pay for our fun? Uh, with a troll mask on. <laughs> <laughs> I have a slight experience that in real life my, my dad is unfortunately one of these nothing to fear, nothing to hide type folks. Like, don't worry dad, just go for it. Click accept to everything. <laughs> if that's how you think, you have fun with that. Mm. <laughs> no, like these situations, like, often it is an education piece. So, you, so you, people don't know any better and all that kind of stuff. But like, uh, to, to be fair, like, the, the, the comment that you make, either in jest or otherwise, Lawrence, was it's, it's true, like, those are the people who are paying for these situations because obviously it must make money for it to be there in the first place. If it didn't make money, it might rise, but then it would fall pretty damn quickly. The mm -hmm. whole point of these kind of grosses is that you know that they must make money, therefore they are there. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Just shut down that conversation, Max. <laughs> <laughs> it will always exist. Is Max saying if it makes money, it's right? <laughs> Just... We're in an advertising-based tech company, right? Our thing is advertising to people in some form or other. Like, mm -hmm. This is paying for our beer <laughs> and roofs and food and shit. So I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode two of Fire and Forget. We had a lot of fun putting this together and we hope you had some fun listening as well. Uh, you can find us at TravelNest on Twitter and at Gossip Protocol on SoundCloud. Uh, let us know what you think and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.